Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Meaning we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! Happy Friday. Happy, happy, happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. That's right. I said ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I do that for the creeps at CSIS who are monitoring this radio program and taking copious notes. I'm sure naming the two sexes and the two genders, as in ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that's going to prick up their ears. They'll be printing up a transcript of this monologue and highlighting. Is he highlighting what I said? He said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. He didn't mention any of the other 147 genders, sir. I mean, ma'am, or I mean, Z, they, whatever they call their superior. That's right. We learned yesterday that Canada's spy agency is spying on us. They're spying on parents and parents groups and others who are opposed to radical gender ideology, opposed to drag queens reading to their children, the reading of pornography in school, opposed to grooming of children, to subjecting children to the social contagion that is the radical trans agenda. Billboard Chris, Chris Elston, will be here shortly to discuss. I'm sure the creeps at CSIS have a huge file on him. And David Menzies from Rebel News. That's right, CSIS can pound sand. They can go straight to H-E double hockey sticks, Jacob. Monday's family day. No live show. So I hope you'll uh, enjoy time with your nuclear and extended families. Celebrate your family. The family is the foundation of our civilization. It is the foundation of our nation and our economy. And if you have a stable family and a good job or career, that's all you need. Those are the only social programs you need. A good family life and a good job. And while you're enjoying your family, you can also enjoy a special best of the Richard Serrett Show presentation. Monday. See how I worked that in, Jacob? I'll be back live on Tuesday, Feb 20th. 
but the family is under attack. Black Lives Matter, the Marxist organization, not the sentiment. Black Lives Matter. The race grifters. Has as one of its stated objectives, the destruction of the nuclear family. Because as good little Marxists, they see the family as a patriarchal oppressive institution. Now, they took that mission statement off their, their website, but they still believe it. Our school boards presently seek the destruction of the family. They think our children belong to them. And they'll tell you straight to your face. The Trudeau liberal government seeks the destruction of the family. That's why the federal minister of justice stated publicly recently there are no such things as parental rights. Virtually all of our cultural institutions seek the destruction of the family. They're all ideologically captured by Marxists. And Marx saw the church and the family as the two major impediments to the revolution. Now, I'm reading a story here from WND, formerly WorldNet Daily, a free press for a free people since 1977. There's long been controversy, it begins, over adults dressing up in drag or in otherwise sexually provocative clothing and performing where children can see them. Now it's turned about with a report about a parade in Spain where children were staged in provocative costumes, then danced down the street in front of adults. The report comes from VNN, which bluntly warns that the images are disturbing. I don't know if you've seen this video. Uh, It's on social media. Spare yourself. I've basically told you what's involved here. Children dressed in provocative costumes, dancing down the street in front of adults in Spain. The report describes the incident involved young children dressed in lingerie who were being paraded down the street waving LGBTQ flags as adults cheer them on during an annual carnival. It apparently was the Carnival Carnival de Torrevieja, where children probably ages eight or nine dressed in garter belts, X-shaped nipple shields, wigs, and makeup, danced provocatively down the streets of Alicante. The audience included adults, children, and even infants. The report explained Vaz Media identified those organizing the event as the Osadia Troop, a Barcelona-based street theater company. The report charged the hypersexualization of children appears to be accelerating despite the public beginning to push back against the trans and LGBTQ agenda worldwide. Wow. I wonder what the creeps at CSIS think about What's happening in Spain? Would they be okay if their children were dressed in provocative costumes and made to dance down the streets in front of adults? That's what we're opposed to. And you're spying on us because you think we pose a, a, a threat of violence? Here's something else you folks listening in CSIS, in, uh, listening in at CSIS uh, are going to love. A study conducted back in 1991 has resurfaced And it's making the rounds again on social media. Very interesting study indeed. The study titled Mothers of Boys with Gender Identity Disorder, a Comparison of Matched Controls. Again, published in 1991 in the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry by Dr. Sonia Morantz and Dr. Susan Coates. 
the women interviewed 16 mothers of boys with GID or gender dysphoria, a person whose gender identity doesn't match their assigned sex, and 17 mothers of boys without it. The study concluded that 53% of mothers of sons with gender identity disorder qualified as having borderline personality disorder. Let me repeat that. The study concluded that 53% of mothers of sons with gender identity disorder qualified as having borderline personality disorder. The mothers. When asked recently about the possibilities of reproducing the study in today's climate, remember the study was published in 1991, study of the possibility of reproducing the study in today's climate of acceptance, activism, and social media saturation. One psychiatric scientist offered his in, uh, her insight. I suspect that if this 1991 study were conducted today, the results would be similar, if not more pronounced. Since fundamental motivators of human behavior can remain thematically similar over time, but the social incentives to have a non-cisgendered child are likely greater now than 30 years ago. Said Dr. Nina Salander, an author and practicing psychologist, uh, that said, a newer study would have to account for the limitations of this one, especially the lack of clinical controls, exclusion of fathers in the sample, and the lack of attention to gender dysphoria in daughters and the mother-parent-daughter relationship. Salander said that while belonging to a sexual minority identity today may, may carry clout, psychologically unwell parents might be more susceptible to the notion. Having a sexual minority identity appears to be a social currency or means for status, she said. Psychologically unwell parents may be more susceptible than psychologically well parents to pursue this gender minority status to the negation of considering other factors that contribute to gender dysphoria or the superficiality of transience of gender nonconforming habits of preferences. Wow. I think this explains a lot. Don't you? I think CSIS is very busy highlighting and underlining parts of this monologue. God bless their dear little hearts. All right, coming up on today's show. The great Greg Carrasco will be here. Last order of business in hour two. Host of the Greg Carrasco show. Saturday mornings, 8 to 11. He's a car guy, right? He sells cars. Well, our crazy minister of climate change says no more federal money for new roads in Canada. How do you suppose Greg will respond to that? <laughs> we'll find out. Brendan Lang, play-by-play announcer for the Mississauga Steelheads, will be here second hour with a preview of this weekend's OHL action with the Trout. Maybe uh, open lines in hour two, maybe. Or maybe Viva Fry. We're not sure. He's busy live streaming during the, I think he's live streaming during the Fannie Willis trial. She's that corrupt D.A. from Fulton County, Atlanta, uh, who has a vendetta against Donald Trump. And uh, she impaneled the grand jury to indict him. Now she's in hot water. She hired her lover to be the prosecutor and paid him $700,000, which he then spent for the two of them to take expensive trips. Not looking good for Fanny. Plus, I think uh, she was wearing her dress on backwards on the stand yesterday. Poor thing. Good news in our war against the death cult of climate change. BlackRock and J.P. Morgan and State Street, which collectively control like trillions and trillions of dollars. They're getting out of the global climate coalition. 
I love it. The whole climate hoax is rapidly collapsing. Dan McTagg will be here this hour to discuss. Sorry, next hour, hour two. This hour, the Lim Riddler. And uh, sticking with climate, Steve Gorham, executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America and author of Green Breakdown, the coming renewable energy failure, will discuss the next big climate scare, counting climate change deaths. He'll also discuss whether the government can create a green hydrogen fuel industry. But first, back to CSIS spying on parents in Canada. Billboard Chris, crusader in the battle against radical gender ideology, is next. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Friday, February 16th, in the year of our Lord, 2024. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. I think they need to um, rebrand Canadian Security Intelligence Service. Maybe they need to rethink that intelligence. (laughs) Well, it's been revealed our uh, spy, top spy agency has been uh, spying on those of us in the so-called anti-gender movement because we oppose drag queen story hour and child mutilation and reading pornography to children in school, uh, hormone treatment for minor children. That makes us terrorists, apparently. According to documents obtained by the CBC via an access uh, to information request This is an organization called uh, ITAC, Integrated Terrorism Assessment Center. Trans and drag communities in Canada have been the target of several online threats and real-world intimidation tactics in recent months. And um, anti-2SLGBTQI plus narratives, the document added, remain a common theme in violent rhetoric espoused by white nationalists, neo-Nazis, the freedom movement, and networks such as Diagalon. <laughs> Come on. That's a meme, you dumbasses. And QAnon. All right. Our good friend Chris Elston, a.k.a. Billboard Chris, is here. He's been traveling the world to expose gender ideology and why children cannot consent to medical transition. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, Richard. I'm doing great. I'm not sure what they mean by an anti-gender movement. I'm not really anti-anything. I'm pro-children. Exactly. I have this message that children are beautiful just as they are, and we don't need to cut them up and sterilize them to help them be their true selves. And if our intelligence community and the child abusers who run our federal liberal party want the online angry rhetoric to stop, maybe they should stop cutting up kids. There you go. Um, I was... I don't know if I was shocked or not when the story came out yesterday. Let me ask you how you responded or have you sort of suspected this from the beginning? Oh, yeah, for sure. I I know this is going on. Our government, our prime minister is the leader of queer theory in Canada. And the administrative state, I don't know if we call that here that by that term up in the Great White North, but these unelected people who run all these government bureaucracies are also pushing the cult of queer theory. So they never focus on any of the violence that comes from people who want to harm these kids. They never focus on any of the violence that comes to people like me. I've been assaulted 30 to 40 times in this country. I've had my arm broken. I've been arrested twice after getting assaulted. 
police don't even bother to investigate most of these things. I've been assaulted right in front of dozens of police while the arresting officer laughs during the thing. So most of the violence, almost all of the violence is coming from one direction only. The only act they can ever link to is this mentally ill person at the University of Waterloo last year, an international student from Ecuador. He stabbed a couple of students uh, and it was at a gender studies class. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yesterday I, I, I read the, the list of mass shootings that were attributed to um, so-called trans individuals. The one in Nashville, there was one in Aberdeen, Maryland, another one in Denver. There was another one in Colorado Springs. Um, it seems like they're being they're the ones being radicalized. Not Absolutely. Yes. Nine, yeah. Go ahead. It's not an exaggeration to say that 99% of the violence is coming from trans activists and their allies, like Antifa or Transtifa, as we sometimes call them. Now, of course, nobody with any good head on their shoulders wants violence. No one like myself or yourself is ever advocating for violence. I try to be like Gandhi or Martin Luther King when I'm out on the streets having my conversations. When I get hit, I just take it. I don't respond, I don't yell, I don't do anything. But the principal problem here is that we have a child abuse scandal going on, unlike anything the Western world has ever seen. Children are being taught that they need to be something they're not, and that the only way they're going to find true happiness is by blocking their physical development with these puberty blockers, going on cross-sex hormones, and cutting off their breasts. Or for boys, sometimes they're castrating them and creating these neo-vaginas for them. This is child abuse. And... The rhetoric that they're so concerned about is only going to get worse until this stops, because more and more people are learning the truth about this child abuse every single day. And so if they want it to stop, they need to come back to reality and stop ruining girls' sports, stop lying to parents when their own child is transitioning at school with a new name and pronouns, and stop this medical malpractice that's going on. Exactly. Yeah, maybe the folks at CSIS could find something else to do. Like, I don't know, maybe trying to apprehend or investigate who's setting 100 churches on fire, Christian churches on fire across this country. Uh, and as far as I know, maybe one or two arrests, that's it. Maybe they could uh, work on that and leave parents alone. Chris Elston, Billboard Chris, is with us. BillboardChris.com, back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Let's get back at it on News Talk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Jesus, Canada spy agency admitting they're spying on parents who oppose child sex changes. Billboard Chris is uh, with us. Chris Elston at Billboard Chris on X or Twitter at Billboard Chris and Billboard Again, traveling the world, exposing gender ideology. And uh, you may have seen him out on the street with his billboards, his sandwich sign saying children cannot consent to medical transition. Uh, Do you suspect or know for a fact uh, that you're being surveilled by CSIS? So, no, I don't have concrete evidence of that. But they admit that right in this document that the CDC obtained, where they're saying that they're keeping tabs on threat actors online. So as the most outspoken person on this in the country, the person who probably generates the most conversations about this, there's absolutely no doubt they're watching my social media feed. And I do want to encourage everyone, always be peaceful. And everyone I associate with is peaceful. 
and we don't have to worry about anything. But this reminds me also of what happened down south of the border in 2021 when the school board association sent a letter to President Biden urging that parents at school board meetings be classified as domestic terrorists. And it turns out the National School Board Association coordinated with the White House and the Department of Justice in writing that letter. This is the same thing going on in many countries in the West. This is essentially the communists who are working for our government trying to destroy the nuclear family. And it's people like Randall, what's his name? I forget his last name, thankfully, the member of parliament from the Vancouver Island who said in a speech last week that there's no such thing as parental rights in Canada. There are only parental responsibilities. Randall Garrison is his name. Thank you. I mistakenly uh, said it was the justice minister who said that. It was the MP from – you're right. Thank you for that correction. Uh, yeah, that was, that's chilling to hear that. But, of course, we know that. that, that they don't – they think children belong to them, and the school board's the same the same way. Now, at school boards – school board meetings, if a parent goes uh, to object to pornographic material or, or you know, boys going into girls' washrooms, they cut their mic and they leave. The trustees just leave the meeting, they turn out the lights, and they cut the mic. That's the game that they're playing. I suspect also uh, people like David Menzies, Rebel News, has been – doing some great work on this file, reporting about what he calls this transanity. I'm sure CSIS has a thick file on him as well. Um, so now they're admitting they're spying on parents. I mean, if present trends continue, you know, what's next? Are they going to haul people off to uh, the gulag if they don't uh, subscribe to queer theory? Well, we do still have freedom of expression in this country. And as long as you do things the right way, I don't think you have anything to worry about. In fact, I would love for any of these authorities to arrest me anytime because I know I've done nothing wrong. And the resulting media firestorm it would create all, all across the world would wake up another million people. So honestly, I welcome that sort of stuff. If they want to try to violate my rights or anyone else's rights, we'll make sure that it's well known. Because a lot of this is just fear tactics. But we have, I'm quite sure, an end to this Trudeau regime coming up in the next election Pierre Poliev has been very silent on all of these issues. Just finally, the last two weeks, for the first time, he offered an opinion that he doesn't think children should be having their puberty blocked. The media had to drag it out of him, but at least he said it. And I hope when they get in power that they don't just focus on inflation, which is his favorite topic to discuss, and it is important. But we have cultural issues going on in this country like we've never had before that need to be addressed. And one of the things he needs to do when he becomes prime minister, Pierre Poliev, is he needs to clean house with all these bureaucrats at CSIS, people who talk like this. None of them should be employed. They're a disgrace. Absolutely. Um, just have a, a minute and a half here. Could Is there an update on um, your most recent assault? You were out on the street. You got punched in the face. This person fled, got onto a bus. You followed them onto the bus. Uh, seems like the passengers were... Uh, not happy that you were basically trying to pursue your uh, your assailant. Um, what ha- what's happening with that case? Yeah, I wasn't even really trying to pursue him. I have to get his identity or police can't do anything. And police tell me this. I've had probably 150 interactions with police over these last few years. So this person, I've only been out on the street for literally 30 seconds. I was crossing the crosswalk to go to my busy street corner downtown Vancouver. And this guy with green hair ran across the street, punched me in the face, and then jumped on a bus that was right there. So I... I deliberated in the middle of the street for about five seconds thinking, what do I want to do here? And I decided I wanted to try to get his identity for police. And then he assaulted me again and claimed I was 
Um, he was actually screaming, get off of me as he's lunging forward, pulling on my signs and trying to pull me on top of him. And I have that all on video. So yes. that was quite humorous. But no, police haven't done anything. I'm told they tried to get some street footage, but I haven't heard anything. And they said that they were probably going to lose it after 24 hours. And conveniently, they waited about 30 hours before they talked to me to say that they were doing anything. So I'm not uh, counting on them. Find just, out who that individual is. Just another day at the office for uh, Billboard Chris. At Billboard Chris on uh, X or Twitter. At Billboard Chris. BillboardChris.com. Chris, thank you very much for your time and everything you're doing. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Richard. All right. When we come back, Steve Gorham from the uh, Climate Science Coalition of America and author of Green Breakdown. We'll talk about the next big climate scare that's being pushed, counting climate change deaths. That story's next on The Richard Serrett Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 a.m. Hey, welcome back. Let me ask you, when was the last time you evaluated your financial situation or ask yourself, is my advisor in the large financial company they work for the best organization to help me realize my financial goals? Our friends at Rocklink work with Canadians across the country to develop a simple but effective plan to make sure you're on the right road to reach your financial goals. The team at Rocklink is committed first and foremost to the long term growth of your capital the old-fashioned way. They're not preoccupied with political correctness, gender ideology, ESG, or diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yuck. Give them a call today. 905-631-5462. 905-631-5462. I did, and now I'm a client. You can also email at info at rocklink.com. Info at rocklink.com. And find out how they can help you secure your financial future. All right. We're going to talk about while well, we're going back to the uh, the cult of uh, climate change and uh, just a, a quick reminder coming up after five o'clock. Dan McTagg will be here, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy. This is huge news, sending shockwaves, I'm sure, through the uh, the death cult of climate change. J.P. Morgan, State Street and BlackRock. These uh, companies control trillions of dollars. Uh, they are quitting a um, a climate coalition group pulling back, getting out of the, uh, the green scam, if you will. Uh, but right now we're going to talk about the, uh, the latest attempt uh, by legacy media and our uh, ruling class, if you will, to, uh, to instill even more fear. They're now counting climate change deaths. Steve Gorham is executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America and author of Four books on energy, climate change, and sustainable development with over 100,000 copies in print. His new book, Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure, was the number one bestseller in Amazon's energy policy category twice last month. Steve Gorham, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Richard. I'm doing great. How are you? I hope you're staying warm up there. Uh, We've had an unseasonably uh, uh, mild winter, uh, although this week was, you know, a little bit more... Uh, in line with what we typically get, but um, that's all right. I I love El Nino. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, the next big climate scare is, is here. Uh, They started talking about global boiling instead of global warming. And now they're talking about climate change deaths, which is kind of confusing uh, how they can push 
this narrative because they keep telling us about how climate change, if we don't act now, it's going to affect the future. Uh, but they're already claiming climate change is killing people. How I, I don't get it. They are. Yeah. So uh, former uh, secretary of state and uh, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton at uh, the U.N. climate conference said that we need to start counting climate change deaths. And if you remember during COVID-19, you could go online every day and see uh, the number of people that had contracted COVID uh, and the number of people that had died by a state or province and nation and around the world. And so the climate folks want to do that with climate deaths. <laughs> they say that that will be really effective in uh, communicating to people. And then it, uh, just, uh, just a week ago, a paper came out in the New England Journal of Medicine that claimed there were 250,000 people that die every year due to climate change and a total of about 4 million since the year 2000. Well, when you read up on this a little bit, uh, they claim that uh, diarrheal disease in the poor nations is due to climate change and malaria and even uh, uh, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks. (laughs) So... You know, if you, if you claim a heart attack as a climate death, you can claim any death as a climate death. But that seems to be what we have in store. Right. Uh, you mentioned Hillary Clinton. Um, she spoke at COP28, yeah. the United Nations Climate Conference. She said, was it 61,000 people um, died from extreme heat in 2023? Yeah. She estimates 500,000 people died from heat across the world last year. Right. Was global. Yeah. The 61,000 was in Europe. Yeah. But again, that's that's really these are nonsense figures. So if you look at the overall figures, um, you know, there's an uh, there's an outfit called. Um, oh, no, I'm forgetting forgetting the name of it, but a global outfit that that tracks deaths from uh, disasters. Uh, it's oh, it's the. Uh, the disaster database, again, I'm forgetting the numbers, but uh, they've been looking at this since about 1900, and they track floods and droughts and hurricanes and storms and earthquakes. And globally, deaths have been declining for the last 100 years or so, uh, and they're down more than 90% over that period. If you look at famine globally, uh, we used to have about 10 million people die in the early 1900s every decade from famine, from starvation. Now that number is a couple hundred thousand in a decade. It's gotten much, much better, down about 98%. And then, uh, you know, I think as we've discussed before, warm weather is better for people. Uh, There aren't going to be too many people in Canada dying from heat. (laughs) No, the real killer is the cold. The the real killer is the cold. The other thing that happens, too, is that we're getting more warming uh, toward the poles, at least the North Pole, the Around the equator, there's been very little global warming in the last 140 years, uh, about a degree Celsius in the temperate temperate zones in the United States or so. And then when you get up near uh, Alaska or the northern areas, you get about two degrees uh, Celsius of warming. So so the the hot areas of the planet are not warming very much. So in all cases, uh, uh, warming is probably better for, for society Yet uh, people are going to claim that heat deaths are the big problem now and, and try and make that a daily event. 
Right. If Alaska and let's say Siberia or northern parts of Canada get a little bit warmer, that's great. You can put in a garden and uh, grow <laughs> food. Remember food, life-sustaining food. All right. Yeah. We'll time out. Steve Gorham, executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America, and his latest book is Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. Number one bestseller in Amazon's energy policy category twice last month. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Steve Gorham stays with us, executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America. The latest book is Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. That's available uh, at at Amazon. Just want to spend a couple more minutes talking about the... um, the latest scare tactic, and that is counting climate change deaths. We're being told uh, this year 60,000 people in Europe died from the heat in Europe. This is a, a utter nonsense. Um, I want to play a clip here. This is um, this is Admiral Rachel slash Richard uh, Levine, who is the um, Assistant Secretary of Health in the United States. And uh, there's just... No telling where and who climate change will target next. Have a listen. Hello, I'm Admiral Rachel Levine. This Black History Month, I'm pleased to partner with OMH in advancing better health through better understanding for black communities. Climate change is having a disproportionate effect on the physical and mental health of black communities. Black Americans are more likely than white Americans to live in areas and housing that increase their susceptibility to climate-related health issues. And 65% of Black Americans report feeling anxious about climate change's impact. Through our Office of Climate Change and Health Equity and the Office of Environmental Justice, we're working with providers and community leaders to identify innovative approaches that empower communities to address the health consequences linked to climate change. Visit hhs.gov for more information and tune in next Thursday to hear from another HHS leader on how you can contribute to advancing better health for black communities. There you go, Steve. Um, According to Rachel Levine, Admiral, (laughs) he won that in a raffle, I think. Uh, Admiral Richard Richard Levine, Rachel Levine, claiming that uh, climate change disproportionately affects uh, black Americans. Um, any idea how that might work? <laughs> oh, I really don't. It's 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 kind of a crazy thing. The you know climate affects locations, not races. And and uh, if there's an income issue, if people are poor, then uh, then they certainly uh, uh, might be more Im- impacted by the heat or the cold. But that isn't the situation in the United States. Um, you know, we for ex- we actually have now now the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and the the climate scientists say that a rise of three degrees Celsius, about five degrees Fahrenheit, is what's going to cause all sorts of disasters by the year twenty one hundred. So I actually have two homes now, my wife and I, to visit the children. We live in Chicago for about eight months of the year, when it's just under ten degrees Celsius, and then we go to Virginia Beach for four months of the year when it's about sixteen degrees Celsius. And that's double what the uh, the the uh, UN says is going to be a problem. And so 
I had to consider what to get the second places. Am I shortening our lifespan if we go somewhere to live? <laughs> you know, but there are people dropping dead in Virginia Beach, and then and then imagine uh, Miami. Miami's at about twenty five degrees Celsius for an average temperature, something like that. So you know, this is all a bunch of nonsense. The the only logical uh, idea for people is to adapt to the climate. Uh, you get an air conditioner, uh, you build seawalls. Uh, you get fans. In Africa, we have 40% of the people that, that don't even have a fan. Many of them don't have electricity. There's only 1% or 2% that have electricity. Putting up, putting up wind turbines or driving electric cars around the world is not going to help those people. We need to raise the level of income of people around the world and adapt to climate. That is the only sensible idea. And so this is an income issue for races, possibly, but not not the idea that uh, that uh, climate is the thing. Uh, we need we need to work on people getting uh, uh, more wealthy and having better incomes to to help uh, their resilience. That's right. We need to help Africa have their own industrial revolution. They were denied that. Yeah. Um, another piece that you wrote for the Washington Examiner, can the government create a green hydrogen fuel industry? You write world leaders promote hydrogen as a possible low emissions fuel for transportation and industry. And several nations have announced hundreds of billions of dollars in subsidies to support the development and supply of hydrogen. But will governments be able to create a new green hydrogen fuel industry? Um, so um, give us your thoughts. I mean, is, is hydrogen the future? Yeah, I really can't see how this is going to happen. It's you know, Hydrogen has so many disadvantages. What they want to do is create a fuel industry. Today, we have hydrogen that is created, but it's used on site as a feedstock and as a uh, uh, material for process in chemical industries, uh, making ammonia for fertilizer, making methanol, and in the steel industry, they use it to, to reduce uh, indirect re- reduced uh, uh, steel. And But there is no fuel industry. You can't transport the stuff. There's no pipelines. We can't put it on ships very well. Uh, and so the world has decided they're going to create a new fuel industry out of hydrogen. And just crazy kind of stuff. Uh, today, we have only about a billion dollars worth of, of something that would be a fuel. Green hydrogen, a billion dollars is the size of the market. Uh, the world the world leaders have, have pledged... Uh, over $200 billion now to try and grow this industry from nothing. And if you, if you compare hydrogen to natural gas, natural gas is higher energy density, it's lower cost, uh, much cheaper fuel. We can put it through pipelines. We can put it through ships. It doesn't, if it leaks, it doesn't blow up like the Hindenburg did. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason to use hydrogen except the idea that we can reduce greenhouse gases and stop global warming. And when that misnotion falls apart, there's going to be no reason for any hydrogen industry. But right now we have uh, all this money that's going into it. And so we're, we have companies uh, going into it as well. It's, it's really, uh, we have whole industries now that are being created uh, that, that wouldn't be there from any sort of economics or physics. Yeah, and as you say, you need pipelines to... Uh to uh, move the hydrogen from one end of the country to the next. And, and our governments don't want to build pipelines. So, you know, which is it? Do they want pipelines or don't they? 
All right. Um, Steve, always appreciate your, uh, your insights and look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Richard. Keep up your great work. Steve Gorham, executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America, author of four books on energy, climate change and sustainable development. And uh, the latest is Green Breakdown, the coming renewable energy failure. First, we filled your mind. Now, let's twist it. This is The Limb Riddler. Hey, Limb Riddler, we made it. Happy Friday, my friend. Happy Friday to you, Richard, and happy long weekend. Oh, yeah. Where have I found you? An ice hut somewhere up in Hudson's Bay? I'm just in... Uh, no, I'm I'm actually um, back home. Ah, just uh, just hanging. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, nothing too exciting going on. Although we have a bit of winter here. You do. Yes, we have some snow on the ground here as well. Mm-hmm. All right. We are looking for a one-word answer that satisfies all four clues in this week's limb riddle. You're going to send that one-word answer to uh, info at limbriddles.com. Info at limbriddles.com. And what should you do once you're on LimRiddles.com? Well, you'll notice there's a little spot in the upper right-hand corner on the homepage where you can uh, subscribe. So if you subscribe to LimRiddles, you'll have an email right to your uh, email inbox every Friday just before I uh, come on the radio. Way easier to solve the LimRiddles if you can just see it in front of you. Read along with me. Exactly. All right. So uh, this week's limb riddle is called Dense Districts. Who is this going to appeal to? Well, there's a little bit here for city type people. There's something here for country boys and girls and anybody who's into um, Afro-American rhythm and blues music. Excellent. Covering a lot of genres there. All right. Mm -hmm. Let's hear this week's limb riddle, Dense Districts. And it goes like this. Tower filled districts with dense avenues. Moniker eight early popes chose to use. Country boy Keith from a land underneath. Afro-American rhythm and blues. Ah, excellent. All right, again, one word answer. Send it to info at limriddles.com. Be sure to be listening just before the news at 6 p.m. when I reveal the answer and announce the names of the winners. And one lucky winner will walk away with a pair of tickets to see the Mississauga Steelheads in action at home. Uh, this family day, Monday, 2 p.m. against Owen Sound. And, of course, you can always get your tickets by going to the Paramount Fine Foods Center box office or call 905-502-7788. Lim Riddler, you have a great long weekend and a great family day. We'll talk next week. Yeah, you too, Richard. Thanks. Bye for now. Bye for now. The Lim Riddler. <laughs> Solve this puzzle. The Lim Riddler. Every Friday at 4.50 on The Richard Serrett Show on Saga 960 AM. All right, hour two coming up. Dan McTagg will be here. We'll talk about J.P. Morgan, State Street, and BlackRock scaling back their commitment to uh, climate change. They backed out of a global climate coalition. That's great news. Another nail in the coffin for the uh, death cult of climate change. Viva Fry will be here. He's been covering... Uh, a number of trials. I think he's, he covered the uh, on his live stream the uh, the Trump, the latest Trump debacle in uh, New York, where they're trying to take away his business for taking out loans, <laughs> a bank, and paying interest and paying the loans back. And also, of course, the uh, the disgraced district attorney in Fulton County, who's also got a vendetta against Trump, uh, Trump, <laughs> Trump, Trump, Fannie Willis. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll have some. Uh, 
discussions about the Mississauga Steelheads with Brendan Lang, play-by-play announcer, and of course, great Greg Carrasco will be here. All right, hour two gets underway in uh, just a few minutes. Stay with us. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Meaning we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this gun with through her eyes if you really want to see something. This Edward R. Murrow Excellence in Broadcasting award-winning radio transmission. And I say that even though I award myself. <laughs> Who else is going to give me an Edward R. Murrow if not me? I've got quite a collection back here. All right. Coming up this hour, the Lim Riddler, or the Lim Riddle, actually. We had the Lim Riddler earlier. We'll get the answer to this week's Lim Riddle and uh, announce the names of the winners. One lucky winner, of course. We'll walk away with a pair of tickets to see the Mississauga Steelheads in action at home uh, on Family Day, 2 p.m. against uh, Owen Sound. And, of course, you can always get your Mississauga Steelhead tickets by visiting the uh, Paramount Fine Food Center box office or by calling 905-502-7788. The great Greg Carrasco will be here. Greg's uh, obviously a car lover, talks cars, sells cars. He's all about the cars. What about the roads, though, Greg? Because our federal... Crazy federal minister of climate change doesn't want to give any more money to build or federal money to build roads. We're all going to walk. We're all going to walk to work and to school. That's fine if you live in a, you know, a densely populated city like Toronto or Montreal. What if you live, I don't know, outside of Lethbridge, 20 miles outside of Lethbridge and you have to walk to work through the snow? Great idea. Great idea. Uh, we'll uh, we'll speak with Brendan Lang, play-by-play announcer, color commentator with the Mississauga Steelheads, and get a preview of this week's OHL action. Uh, Viva Fry will be here. David Fryheit, he's been uh, live streaming and just got back to us. Um, I don't. I think he's been covering or live streaming during the uh, the Fannie Willis trial. Have you seen any of this? What a debacle! Get the popcorn. It's very entertaining. Um, she is the corrupt district attorney in Fulton County who has a vendetta against former President Trump. She impaneled a grand jury to indict him, and now she's in a mess of trouble. She hired her lover to prosecute Trump, pays him $700,000 a year, and then they spend that money on lavish vacations. And uh, so she's not looking good on the witness stand, I tell you. Plus, unless I'm mistaken, she was wearing her dress backwards yesterday. I don't know if you caught that. And then also, this came in, uh, the decision has been reached in the uh, Trump, Trump keep, why do I keep calling him Trump? Trump civil, tri- uh, civil fraud trial in New York. 
Another crazy judge, Angeron, has ruled fining Trump more than $350 million and barring him from running businesses in New York. Well, I don't think you need to bar him. I don't think anybody's going to be doing business in New York at this point. What did he do? He borrowed money from banks, paid the interest, employed lots of people, paid the money back, paid the loan back in full. Who exactly are the victims here? Who's going to receive the $350 million? I guess Judge Engeron will get a cut. Uh, We'll talk to Viva Fry about that. All right. Um, For those of us who are constantly waging war against the death cult of climate change, I think this is potentially, I think, a game changer. At least I hope so. Lots of excitement um, for those of us who don't subscribe to global boiling. And that is the announcement yesterday that J.P. Morgan, State Street and BlackRock are quitting a um, global climate coalition. Or at least scaling back. And uh, to make sense of this all, we've uh, enlisted our good friend Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, affordableenergy.ca. Dan, welcome back. How are you? Good to be here, Richard. And in a time in which you and I have sort of discussed doing this, PIMCO, very large uh, uh, funding firm, has done the same thing. It's now joined the exodus. Uh, They're leaving the Climate Action 100, which is uh, interesting news. $16 trillion in funds. Okay, so... um, These, yeah, huge asset managers, they're quitting an investment group that was set up to, what, pressure companies uh, over global warming? Yeah. That's basically, and so now they're they're getting out of the uh, climate, it's called Climate Action 100. Why? What's the reason? Well, I think they realize that there's a couple of factors. They have a fiduciarial duty to their customers, and if they start backing away from things that actually make money in favor of things that don't and only survive based on grift, and on government subsidies and on things that people don't want. Think your EVs, think your uh, windmills, think your solar panels that don't work in certain types of temperatures and aren't uh, necessarily reliable. But beyond that, these are all organizations that are all housed in the United States or have significant asset holdings in the United States. And about 120 years ago, I used to be the competition man in Canada. The United States uh, decided to go up against the Rockefellers and break up the old standard trust. To do that, they brought in significant Sherman antitrust legislation. Many of these companies would run afoul of it. So uh, they're they're worried. Uh, And in the United States, they actually have a balance of probabilities. It's basic. If it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, flies like a duck, swims like a duck, it is a duck. Unlike Canada, where to get any kind of conviction of antitrust behavior uh, would require literally the CEOs of these companies admitting that they uh, committed criminal activity in order to get charge. In the United States, the test is much slower. And I think uh, for all these uh, larger organizations, they realize their goose is cooked. So uh, and what exactly is Climate Action 100? Is that sort of a UN initiative or what is it? Yeah, it's a WEF UN. It, it, you know, is a decision by an ad hoc group that decided they call themselves uh, Climate Action 100. Uh, the Global Climate Investor Coalition, Climate Action, uh, CA100, there's all sorts of little uh, words they use to identify themselves. But basically, it, large funding groups got together and said, we are going to in, only invest in those companies that, uh, that will pr- prove they can reduce their CO2, their emissions, uh, and we will discourage investment into those areas uh, where, in fact, they don't abide by our, our willingness to, uh, to tell them what to do. And, of course, that's all fun and dandy and great, uh, you know, when you're sipping back a pair of, uh, um, 
you know, when you're sipping back uh, uh, spritzers and uh, eating uh, eating canapes, but it doesn't necessarily work in the real world. And I think for a lot of comp- these companies, they realize that many of these uh, de- turning these companies away and investing somewhere else is going to lose them a lot of money. So at the end of the day, they have to get real. So uh, I guess the other thing that they would do, BlackRock, State Street, JP Morgan Asset Management, they they would hold on behalf of their investors shares in in companies. oil companies and they would pressure the the board to you know to decarbonize uh exactly um, this was all part of the uh, the esg strategy as well right so is that it was it, well capitalism is what we call it and uh it's to basically say if you don't do these things conform or you will be uh you will be uh you'll find yourself without funding uh, don't do what we say uh, do what we say or else uh, we won't be investing we'll encourage others to walk away from your company we'll watch the shares of those companies plummet uh, the most notable of course was their attack on the mining and of course the oil and gas sector which uh, many oil companies have decided to turn around and say well we're buying all our shares back we're going to pay these massive dividends we don't need you so go put your money in batteries go put your money in these uh, you know in these uh, uh, these widgets that don't necessarily work and we'll see how it does what's happened beyond anything else so i mentioned antitrust i mentioned the fiduciary duty which they have their uh, their investments were tanking and they knew that these green investments uh, are not ready for prime time and it's a disaster pretty much everywhere you go around the world especially europe is this the death knell then for the cult of climate change is this uh, um, the end Oh, I think it's prag- pragmatism. I think it's reality finally coming over and slapping them on the side of the head. Uh, you know, Richard, you and I have talked about this uh, ad infinitum for the past several years. Everyone, oh, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? Well, you know, you can do these things, but you've got to make sure the public and, and the buying public is there with you. Consumers can't afford this. And these ideas that you can somehow replace uh, fossil fuels, hydrocarbons with, uh, you know, uh, a handful of, you know, new technologies, renewables, all of which can't be built without fossil fuels, all of which can't give you the energy uh, that you're that the world needs today. I think, you know, reality has now finally struck them. And it, it, there were other companies like Vanguard and other organizations and ZAM initiative. They also said, well, we're not going to join this coalition. We'll be sort of be on the side. They watched on the side and probably took a very smart position of saying, we're not going to be part of a conspiracy. We're not going to be part of a combination or an organization meant to try to throttle the daylights out of commerce. And if you do that, you're going to wind up with some pretty serious multi-trillion dollar damages being awarded. And make no mistake, the U.S. Department, uh, uh, the antitrust legislators, uh, Department of Commerce will not fool around. They don't care uh, what it takes. They don't care how big you are. You will get a ruling against you. They've taken on the Microsofts. They've taken on pretty much every combination that's out there. And um, unlike most other jurisdictions, these things have teeth. I think every one of those uh, large organizations realized that uh, their goose was cooked, as I said earlier. All right. I got less than a minute. Oh, is this the uh, is this a mortal wound to what we call the death cult of climate change? Now, the BlackRock, J.P. Morgan, they're getting out of this nonsense. They're getting out of it. And the federal governments and other governments around the world don't have the money to back these things up anymore. Uh, within one year, 48 weeks, we have a new likely new administration in the United States. You think this thing is going to survive? It's over. It's only a matter of time before other countries, woke countries like Canada, wake, the, wake up, smell the coffee and realize uh, the game is over on a, on a number of fronts. Fantastic. Great news. It is. News. It's very good news. I'm, I'm a very happy camper, but it's not over yet. It's uh, right. the, the resistance will be bitter and they will fight back. We must be 
We must remain eternally vigilant. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great weekend, Richard. Thank Thank you. you so much. Have a great weekend. All right. Viva Fry is next. We'll talk about the Fannie Willis trial and uh, the judgment in the New York civil fraud trial. Uh, That um, penalty has just been announced by unhinged Judge Engeron fining Trump more than $350 million, barring him from running businesses in New York. Those stories next. When the Richard, excuse me, when the Richard Serrett show continues in three minutes, lozenge. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. I don't know, Jacob, if you saw what was happening during the break, it took me five minutes to uh, open one of my lozenges. I was uh, having a a serious issue with my throat and I, I have a whole bowl of lozenges. It took me like 10 minutes to figure out how to like who packages these things. The same people who package the, uh, the almonds on the airlines. It, it took me like, you know, six hours of transatlantic flight just to open a package of airline uh, almonds. Maybe they should, um, they should wrap our, uh, you know, our vehicles, new vehicles in whatever they wrap these lozenges in. And they would be absolutely burglar proof. How annoying. I'm annoying. I understand. I get it. All right. You know who else is annoying? Mm-hmm. This unhinged judge in New York, Angeron, just fined Trump $350 million, barring him from running businesses in New York. Like, you're going to have to bar anybody. No one's going to do business in New York. What a, um, a clown show. Viva Fry is uh, with us, a good friend of the program. You can catch him on Rumble and YouTube and, of course, Viva and Barnes Law for the people. Check out that uh, podcast, vivabarneslaw.locals.com. Viva Fry, David, welcome back. How are you? Oh, Richard, I've been sitting on my butt for eight hours, day over day, listening to this Fannie Willis motion to disqualify hearing. It's wild. Okay, yeah, I, I, want, to, I want to talk about Fannie as well. But let's do the Fannie one first. Uh, poor Fannie. Um, the DA from Fulton County, Atlanta, who has this vendetta against Trump, she impaneled the grand jury, indicted him. Then she hires her lover at $700,000 a year to prosecute Trump. But they're spending the money on lavish vacations. And um, she's not looking good on the witness stand. And I, I swear she was wearing her dress on backwards. Yes. Two pe- people have pointed that out. I got to go back to the tape because apparently I think she switched her dress around at a given point where the zipper was in the front at one point. Either way, she, when she came onto the stand yesterday, she came in like a, a, a bull. Uh, I don't even know what the analogy is. She came in like a raging bull, unhinged, coming to take the stand after her attorneys had been arguing for a half an hour to quash the subpoena that was issued to compel her to testify. So I genuinely think that she just she got the better of her and defied what her lawyers wanted her to do. And she runs down, jumps on the stand, comes off as a raging, raging lunatic, a demanding, entitled, um, you know, self-righteous, arrogant, condescending, uh, terrible human. And she testified so badly yesterday, by all accounts, she was scheduled to take the stand again this morning. And uh, her, her, you know, her attorney say, now nah, she's we're, we're done with her. No more questions. It wow. was an abject disaster. So uh, I was watching a little bit of the um, the trial and the uh, the <clears throat> the lawyer was asking her about cash that she has on hand at home. And um, 
She said, well, I always have cash on hand. You know, um, she, and her father came onto the stand. That was weird, too. Her father was testifying about her and he taught her to have a cash box in the house. And she actually admitted she took money from her campaign, cash out from her campaign and kept it at, at the house. Uh, I mean, what is this? What's going on here? It, it is what happens when when lies catch up with you. So bear in mind, the basis of the motion to disqualify is that she entered into a call it an illicit, um, improper relationship with the man that she hired as external counsel, special prosecutor to prosecute Trump. And that the dates as to when they started dating are the critical point at issue here, because if they started dating after she hired him, it's less culpable in theory, except that they've admitted by all accounts that she renewed his contract and increased the base hours that he could work on the file once they were admittedly by all accounts in this amorous relationship. And so the idea is that there's an appearance of impropriety here because she hires a guy that she ends up stooping, uh, pays him a very lucrative uh, contract out of this. In the, in, at the same time, she's going on lavish vacations, cruises, um, Napa Valley wine tasting tours with Nathan Wade, who by all accounts is paying for it because it's on his law firm's credit card statement that they are expensing these trips. And so the only way that she can argue out of the impropriety of this relationship where she's benefiting financially from the contract that she gave to this guy with taxpayer dollars is to say, I paid him back for the vacations. I paid him back for what would otherwise be clear and undeniable gifts. Well, how did she do that? Cash. I mean, that's that's her defense. I always keep cash in the house. My, my father always told me that a woman has to have six months of cash in the house. <laughs> and and where did she get it? Oh, I don't have any withdrawal slips or anything. I just, you know, accumulated it over the years on a salary of one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year. And that she alleges she repaid her boyfriend that she hired, contracted with and gave a raise to in the context of their relationship, that she paid him back with cash that he basically admits that he never disclosed. So he's expensing the trips on the one hand. He's allegedly, even by their own accounts, taking this cash as a personal you know, benefit back from her if we believe it. But the bottom line is it's a filthy lie. And it's the only way that she can get out of what would otherwise be a clear conflict of interest where she is benefiting from the contract that she's giving to her boyfriend to prosecute Trump who is a personal injuries lawyer who has no experience in these matters. And now he's prosecuting the president of the United States. If she gets disbarred or at least disqualified from this case, what happens to this, these indictments in Fulton County? At least? Well, so my understanding is I've, I've asked Robert Barnes this question too. I'm a Quebec attorney, but I think I could piece things together. They disqualify her. They would bring in another district attorney from another County who would take over the case to be determined if anybody in their right mind would ever have initiated such a case and or continue it. So you get an external count, uh, a DA from another county, disqualify all of them. This whole team is, is, is tainted, as the pun would have it based on the, the trial. Um, get her get her out. Another independent DA from another county comes in and says, I, I don't want to pursue this. This was this was not just a stretch in law from the beginning. It was ridiculous. And no ordinary DA who didn't campaign off prosecuting Trump, who didn't have a vendetta against Trump, would have ever initiated this um, this this file. So in all likelihood, if there's a substitute and they disqualify her and bring in another DA from another county, I would imagine they'd, 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 they'd withdraw the charges and stop this bogus persecution from the get go. Uh, but and I think the judge is going to get to the right decision. A lot of people in my chat, we, we had 25,000 people watching live today wow. for, for eight hours watching this. I mean, I guess I, I made it as entertaining as, as I could. Um, people are saying, you know, the judge, the fix is in. The judge is excluding some evidence that, you know, of um, 
uh, on the basis of privilege between Nathan Wade and his alleged lawyer who they threw under the bus this afternoon. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, I think the judge is going to get it right. And I think it's just it's so patently ridiculous on his face. Anyone who watched this, even the highlights or my summary, would know that this is a an absolute gong show. And they have easily shown the appearance of impropriety warranting disqualification in order to preserve the the the, the semblance of justice. All right. Well, we'll talk about another, <clears throat> another gong show when we come back. Judge Ingeron in that civil fraud trial fining Donald Trump more than $350 million, barring him from running businesses in New York. Viva Fry is with us back with more of our conversation right after these. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. And we're back with our good friend, Viva Fry. Viva and Barnes Law Podcast. You can find that at vivabarneslaw.locals.com. Just finished streaming eight hours of live in covering the uh, Fannie Willis uh, trial. Uh, but I want to move on and talk about what just happened in New York and the uh, the judge there. Arthur Engeron just hit Donald Trump with his biggest punishment to date and uh, fining the former president nearly $355 million for quote, end quote, fraudulently inflating the values of his properties. He's also barred from doing um, any business in New York. Um, so let me see if I understand this. He goes to a bank. He's borrowing. He's taking out a loan to build another property. He's borrowing against the value of his you know, other buildings. He's going to try and get as much of a, lo- a big a loan as he can by telling him, the banks, this is how much my other properties are worth. And they may agree or disagree or they're saying, well, it's not worth 300 million. It's worth 280. He goes, no, I think it's worth 300. They back, they go back and forth. He gets the loan. He pays the interest. He pays the loan back. And in the, in the meantime, he's employing thousands and thousands of people. Nobody gets hurt. And now he's being charged and he's been convicted of fraud. It's, it's, who, who are the victims? Richard, there is no sense to make of this case. It's corruption through and through, and it's a judicially corrupt judge. If anybody doesn't know who Arthur Engeron is, there's a video eight years old of him giving a speech to a bunch of journalists talking about how he has the tools to basically dictate the outcome of a trial. He can use collateral estoppels, prevent people from making arguments, summary judgments. This ruling, it's not a surprise to anybody because he was Trump was already found liable. It's a civil matter, though, basically proceeded like a criminal one. They already found him liable uh, for fraud on a summary judgment. The judge, by way of motion for summary judgment, concluded that Trump committed the fraud. So the entire, I think it was a six week trial, was only on the amount, the damages, the punishment, because he had already been found guilty on summary judgment on a bogus. uh, I I try not to swear on your channel on the most bull garbage Mm -hmm. uh, ruling you can imagine. They accused him of artificially inflating the values of his properties. The banks came in and said, we would have loaned him the money if the properties were worth half what he said they were. We do our own due diligence. We uh, we would have lent him the money regardless. We were competing for his business, not being duped into doing business with him. He was a shark. We, he was a whale. I forget which one they used. We wanted to do business with him. They also accused him of artificially inflating the properties for insurance purposes. Well, that only becomes fraud if you actually make a claim. Otherwise, you're actually paying a premium based on exaggerated worth of properties. But if you don't make a claim, you've just made a bad investment in terms of what you, you, what you evaluate your properties at. 
It was a foregone conclusion that this was going to happen. The judge had every tool under his belt to get to this conclusion. Uh, and it's basically it's institutionalized communism. And I'm saying it's sort of like tongue in cheek, but not really. You, lo you look back at communist eras and you say, how could millions of people have starved to death? And it's when the government basically took over and na nationalized private industry. You, the government doesn't know how to farm. They take over farms. They screwed up. They run it into the ground. The government doesn't know how to do business either. And so they're going to try to basically steal Trump's property, prevent him from doing business, put out of work however many thousands of people Trump employs in New York because of a political hack of a judge from a political hack, Leticia James, of a prosecutor who campaigned off going on uh, after Trump. Um, and they've come to this decision, which has to get overturned in appeal. I suspect it's going to be stayed until there's a decision on the appeal because you're not going to liquidate assets and basically put someone out of business and create a situation where even a successful appeal cannot remedy the injustice of the garbage decision that we just saw today. Um, do you think this is going to cause uh, a business? Well, what businesses are left in New York City? I mean, all the smart money is getting out of that hellhole. Um, but is this going to cause a further flight from from businesses who would want to do business in, in a place where there's a total breakdown in, in well, in law and order? Uh, well, nobody. I mean, this is why, you know, when, when Trudeau froze the banks of, in, in, of Canadians, any reasonable investor is going to say, I'm not going to a, a communist totalitarian regime where there's no due process and willy nilly freezing of bank accounts. People are going to flee. They've already started fleeing with their bodies. They're going to start fleeing by the corporations en masse from that corrupt, uh, to quote the Simpsons, pee-pee-soaked heckle of New York. In the same way that Elon Musk is taking his business out of Delaware because of judicial activist judges, and he's going to go to Texas. And good luck, Delaware. You said you were business friendly. You are run by corrupt judicial activist judges, and it's going to hurt your bottom line. It's going to happen to New York if it's not already happening, and it needs to happen. Get out of New York. Take your bodies out of New York. Take your monies out of New York and take your businesses out of New York. Well, uh, that $350 million may end up just being pocket change for Mr. Trump because the SEC there in the U.S. has just approved uh, a merger deal with his social media company, Truth Social. Uh, and his stake in the post-merger company is valued at today's share price nearly $4 billion. So Donald Trump gets the last laugh yet again. Well, but I, Richard, don't also don't forget about the other decision out of New York where the uh, E. Jean Carroll got her. What does she get? Eighty five, uh, eighty five, give or take yes. million dollars. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, he'll, he'll, but they're licking their lips because they think he's got the monies to pay for this. None of these decisions should withstand an appeal. And if there's any justice, even the semblance of justice, none of them will withstand an appeal. Viva Fry on YouTube and Rumble, Viva and Barnes Law for the People. And you can check that out at vivabarneslaw.locals.com. All the best. Have a great weekend. Have a great family day. Thank you very much. You too. Thank you. All right. When we come back, we're talking trout with Brendan Lang, play-by-play -play announcer with the Mississauga Steelheads. Here next with a preview of this weekend's action. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. I know how hard you work, and I know how concerned you are about protecting your capital. That's why we've partnered with our good friends at Rocklink Investment Partners. And these guys, they really understand the importance of preserving your hard-earned wealth. Their time-tested approach has a proven track record of success, helping put families in the driver's seat of their own financial future. Why would you trust a woke financial institution with your finances when you can work with like-minded Canadians that share your conservative values? God bless them. Give them a call. Do it today. 
905-631-5462, I did, and now I'm a client. You can also email at info at rocklink.com, info at rocklink.com. That's rocklink with a C, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. But a shooting position doesn't take it. Passes across, Lingers! No way he made that save! Here's a shot, scores! All right, welcome back. There's a gentleman I, um, I'm going to give my vote for, busiest man in show business. Brendan Lang, Mississauga Steelheads, play-by-play and color commentator, host of Trout Talk and Tips here on Saga 960 AM and also producer of the Mark Petrone Morning Show. I'm surprised you have time for little old me, Brendan. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Richard. Looking forward to talking with you. All right. Before we uh, tee up this weekend's action, we really need to talk a little bit about what happened uh, last Sunday's crazy game against Sudbury, which saw, unfortunately, the Steelheads go down eight to seven in overtime. What the heck led to all of those goals in that one? Yeah, I mean, it's just, well, first of all, starting on the side of Sudbury, just a team with so much offensive firepower up front and somebody like David Goyette, who after that game was leading the OHL in points, continuing his point streak to 10 games it was there. I mean, they just have so many guys that can put the puck in the back of the net. Dalibor Dvorsky had two games in that one as well. He's a first-round pick in the NHL. So, so many guys that can score. And then on the side of the Steelheads, I mean, their offense was struggling a little bit when they kind of went down in a bit of a lull this season, but it started to pick back up this past weekend. And I think it really just kind of attests to the ability for the Steelheads to push back in games because they were down four nothing to start that game in the first period of four couple power play goals to start things off. They were down 5-2 at one point. They were down 6-3 at another point, continuing to fight back, continuing to fight back and and get in that game and, and tie it up and force it to go to overtime. Unfortunately, they couldn't uh, they couldn't finish it off. But those are the kind of games that you get when you play the Sudbury Wolves. They have so much offensive firepower. Their defense maybe doesn't like to play in their zone as much as maybe you would like if you were a coach of their, of their team. But those are kind of the wild games you get when you play Sudbury. Uh, don't look now, but the Trout have fallen into sixth place uh, in the Eastern Conference heading into this weekend. Do you think this uh, tumble in the standings has gotten to the team at all? Uh, I mean, I think it's hard to say that it hasn't gotten to the team like completely. I mean, again, they are a young team, one of, if not the youngest team in the OHL. So sometimes it will weigh on you a little bit, but I think that they can kind of take stock. And this happens to every team in the OHL. You take a look at last year, the Peterborough Peets who won the championship after the trade deadline. They had a bit of a downturn. They weren't playing well. People were wondering if they were really going to be able to get all these pieces together and make a run. They end up going on a run and winning the, uh, the OHL championship, going to the Memorial Cup. So it always happens in the OHL, especially with a young team like Mississauga. And I think there have been signs, especially this past weekend, we just talked about Sudbury, but in those games against Peterborough and Barry as well, some signs of them kind of breaking out of this slump that they've been in here recently. All right. Well, tonight, Mississauga will be in uh, Kitchener to take on uh, a Rangers team that has two of the top five leading goal scorers in the OHL. What's it going to take to stop this high-powered offense? Yeah, I mean, and you, you kind of just said it there. If you can slow those two guys down, you're you're going to find success. Carson Rakoff has been great all season long, second round pick of of Seattle, and then Hunter Brusevich, a defenseman who's been great throughout the season as well. He's a a Calgary product 
prospect right now. So, I mean, you got to try to slow those guys down, but then you just kind of look down the roster. I mean, if you slow them down, there's a couple other guys. Luca Romano's had a good year for them. Matthew Sopp, another guy who's had a good season. So that's kind of what you're going to see from Kitchener, maybe a little bit similar from what you saw from Sudbury. A lot of guys that can create offense. And if you're the Steelheads, they've done a pretty good job of keeping the puck out of their own net defensively, and the goaltending has been good all year. So I think that's something you're going to have to rely on when you play a team like Kitchener. All right, then uh, tomorrow the Trout will host a Kingston team that they've uh, uh, not lost to yet this year. Mississauga 3-0 and versus the, uh, the Frontenacs. How did the Blue and White continue their dominance over Kingston? Yeah, I think a big thing that Mississauga has struggled with in this kind of recent stretch is they haven't gotten off to very good starts in games, and sometimes that kind of puts them behind. They were able to come back in the game against Barry. They went down 2 nothing in that one. They go down 4 nothing against Sudbury, able to fight back, send it to overtime. But I think if you're Mississauga, especially on home ice on a Friday night, Kingston, who's one place behind you in the standings coming in, they're sitting in seventh place. So a big two points that would be for Mississauga. You'd like for them to really start out hot, come out of the gates, maybe score the first goal, two goals, maybe get a power play opportunity, get something going early on in that game where you can almost kind of bury the Frontenacs early. And I think that would go a long way for the Steelheads. And then finally, Monday, the Trout will host the Owen Sound Attack. This is the uh, Family Day Showdown. These two teams uh, sport very similar records. Uh, Fair to say they're pretty evenly matched. Yeah, I'd say so. I think they're both uh, young teams as well. You're going to be seeing Colby Barlow in that game uh, with the Owen Sound attack. He's always really exciting to see. And it's going to be a great goaltending matchup as well. Two guys who played against each other in the top prospects game in Ryerson Leanders and Carter George on the other side with the Owen Sound attack. So I do think that there are definitely a lot of parallels to these two teams and these two teams that, like you said, very similar records, very young rosters, and and they're set up to be good for, for years to come in the future. All right, and what can fans expect on this week's Trout Talk right here on Saga 960? Yeah, on Trout Talk this week, we have a Steelhead second-year forward, Jack Van Volsen. He's uh, was traded over from Peterborough last year, so good to, get to, good to get to talk to him. And he's really turned things on here recently in the, in the second half of the season. So, yeah, that's who we're talking to on Sunday. And how do we yeah, – when do we tune in? What time? Yeah, that's uh, 1 o'clock here on Saga 960, and then the podcast, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can find it at Trout Talk. Brendan Lang, Mississauga Steelheads, play-by-play, color commentator, house, a host of Trout Talk and Tips here on Saga 960. Brendan, you have a, a great long weekend. Thank you. Thank you very much. You too, Richard. Uh, don't forget, you can get your Mississauga Steelhead tickets by visiting the Paramount Fine Food Center box office or by calling 905-502-7788, 905-502-7788. All right, coming up next, the great Greg Caresco. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Something's happening here. The great Greg Carrasco is here, host of The Greg Carrasco Show, Saturday mornings, 8 to 11 AM on the mighty News Talk Saga 960. Greg, I had a, I had a news flat, or an idea, a brilliant idea. I have these lozenges and I can't get into them when I need them. They're like hermetically sealed. It takes me. 20 minutes to tear one open when I need them the most. They should wrap brand new vehicles in whatever they're wrapping these lozenges with. They would be burglar proof. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the problem is that you, you can't get into those ones when you're on the microphone. Uh, they make a really funny sound on the other side. So I wouldn't advise you to get into them while you're on air. But uh, <laughs> That's it. there it is. <laughs> All right. uh, you know, you know that noise. That noise. It, it always uh, it, it makes me feel that that's what the uh, the liberals. Uh, you know, that's a sound that permanent sound inside their head because the stuff that's coming out of their mouth lately. I don't really understand it. 
Yeah, you're you're obviously referring to uh, our climate change minister, convicted felon, I might add, Stephen Guilbeau, uh, who says no more federal money to build roads in this country. Can you imagine anything more inane falling out of a pie hole than that? This is the way that I see the liberal government. Just when I think that they cannot say anything more dumb, somebody comes out and completely redeems the entire party. <laughs> because they, they never, they never, ever, ever cease to amaze me. Now, I really don't understand the comment. Uh, number one, anyone that has to spend any time in the 400 series highways understands that uh, the traffic and roads here, at least in the in the urban centers, is highly inadequate. I mean, we, didn't they just announce that uh, we weren't going to um, be able to use the third lane on the Gardner and the um, and the QEW for like? Four years, they were yeah. just announced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What What about new subdivisions? What about the maintenance? What about the salt and the snow plows that just dig up holes the size of, you know, Volkswagen Beetles? Is, is this it? You know, this is what I think sometimes. Um, you know, if you spend any time in Cuba, you know, I, I, I used to vacation there and I made the decision not to go there anymore because it's honestly it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, you know, very soon if we continue this way, everything will remain the same. We're going to be stuck in time. We're not going to repair the buildings and the roads and the infrastructure. You know, very, very, very soon we're going to be a figma of our own imagination. We are going to be the husbands because uh, what's happening with a liberal government, I, I really don't understand how much, much more stupid comments we can get out of an environmental minister. I don't, I don't get it. It's almost like they've given up. Like they, they've seen the polls. They're like 20 points back of the conservatives. The NDP, their unholy um, um, partners in that uh, horrible alliance, they're threatening to cancel their alliance by March the 5th or March the 1st if the liberals don't give them this, I don't know, socialist program, pharmacare or whatever it is. So they could have an election sooner than anticipated. We could have an election. It's like they've given up. And so they're just, I don't know, just they've gone mad. They're just spewing nonsense at this point. You know, my biggest fear, uh, Richard, and uh, I was listening to Professor Jordan Peterson a couple of days ago, uh, and he was talking about how the liberal government has created such a mess, financial mess in the Canadian government that, you know, when when the conservatives win, which is inevitable at this point, uh, there will be such a disaster that they need to clean up that um, a lot of people are not going to like what they have to do in order for them to get the economy back on track. And it's going to be a one term government and we're going to be right back into the musical chairs of the liberal government. And that is terrifying to me. Because, um, you know, it's taken them eight years to completely ruin what we once had. It's going to take a lot more than four to repair it. And, and that is something that, that, that worries me tremendously. That, does that worry you at all, Richard? Uh, it does. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a monumental uh, Herculean task that they have, but it's not as dire, let's say, as uh, Javier Malay is facing in Argentina, where that that country has been pursuing these ruinous policies for like 50, 60 years. And so yeah. in, um, you know, 160 percent inflation, 40 percent of the people, um, you know, we're, we're not that far gone, I, I hope. Uh, I don't know how, you know, how how patient the people of Argentina are going to be. He said, you know, it's going to take two years, but it's it's like shock therapy. Uh, it's going to be very, very painful at first, but I think quickly um, he, he's going to see some, you know, and the people of Argentina are going to see some benefits. Hopefully uh, it's not going to be it's it's not going to take that long um, 
here. I, I think the, the key is, you know, drill, drill, drill for uh, for oil, build, build, build pipelines across this country, uh, you know, get rid of the carbon tax, cut the size of government. Yeah, it'll be you know what? Part of me thinks we may not even notice that much, like less government in my life. I'm not going to notice. Oh, I think it would be a welcoming. Uh, <laughs> if if he if he did that once he gets elected, I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of people are going to welcome the tax relief because the bigger the government, the more taxes we have to pay. I mean, this is inevitable. Uh, I um I think it's uh, it's only a matter of time until the liberal government is is absolutely obliterated out of the Canadian politics. And, you know, I think that the Liberal Party is not going to be able to survive it. I, I think that it's that bad right now. If you look at the public opinion, I don't know very many people that are supporting this uh, this government unless you're a, you know, 19-year-old uh, social studies at, you know, Canadian universities, which seems to be their, their flavor of choice. Yeah, they've lost all of their typical constituencies. Even younger people now are more and more conservative. Um, I think all that's left for them are, you know, disgruntled cat ladies uh, who, you know, <laughs> who live alone. Uh, and other than that, there's nobody. Um, yeah, they need to be sent to the corner for 100 years to do penance. Uh, they really do need to be punished. And someone will come along, hopefully, and reinvent. Listen, we need a viable you know, multi-party system. Of uh, course. We want the liberals, we need the liberals to come back and be the old liberals that they once were. And, and hopefully in time, someone will, you know, they'll come to their senses and they'll realize, let's, you know, let's move back to the center uh, instead of this. Where we belong. Exactly. Where we, where we belong. What's coming up on the big show tomorrow morning, Greg? Um, a couple of things. Uh, the the car show is, uh, opens up this weekend, and uh, it's a pretty big deal because it marks the beginning of the spring season for the Canadian car industry. I went to the VIP night on Thursday night, and I, I'm going to share my experiences with the audience. But, uh, you know, the audience has been asking me, Richard, to bring a family lawyer uh, on the show um, to talk about divorce, to talk about, you know, prenuptial agreements, to talk about anything that has to do with uh, with family. And, uh, you know, as a firm believer of the, the institution of marriage, and I do believe in that, honestly, I do. Uh, I think that there's a lot of things that we need to do to protect ourselves, you know, going into it. Um, my old good friend, Luz Keith, has always said to me that um, the most important financial decision of your life is who you marry. Uh, and, uh, you know, as as cold as that may be, we need to make the right choices. We need to set ourselves up to success. And since I'm a firm believer in, in marriage, I think that it's good to have a lawyer to explain to us what we need to do to make sure that we succeed. Absolutely. All right. The Greg Carrasco Show, Saturday mornings, 8 to 11, always an appointment tune. You'll be in bed. You won't get anything done, but that's okay. It's great listening. It's radio you can really use. Greg, thank you so much. All the best. We'll talk soon. Love you, Richard. Talk to you soon. Love you, brother. And now, your Lim Riddler answer and this week's winners. All right. Here we go. The winners. Uh, well, first, let me give you a quick recap. Uh, here is the uh, the Lim Riddle. Dense districts, tower filled districts with dense avenues. Moniker eight early popes chose to use. Country boy Keith from a land underneath. Afro American rhythm and blues. Did you get it? Anyone? Bueller. Uh, the answer to today's Lim Riddle is urban. Urban tower filled districts with dense avenues. Urban areas are those in near uh, uh, near cities that tend to be busy, developed. 
densely populated moniker eight early popes used to use. There were eight Catholic popes who took the name Urban, each with their very own Roman numeral. Uh, Country boy Keith from a land underneath, Keith Urban, of course. Country singer-songwriter who has won four Grammy Awards, 15 Academy of Country Music Awards. Wow. He's a citizen of New Zealand, Australia, and the U.S., and uh, married to uh, Nicole Kidman. Uh, Afro-American rhythm and blues, urban music, originally a music radio format featuring Afro-American genres uh, such as R&B, pop, rap, uh, urban adult contemporary, hip-hop, and so forth. Urban. And the first five to answer correctly were Bill Heller of Edinburgh, Texas, Nicholas Cole of Toronto, Amy Lou Hu of East York, Duncan Grace of London, Jared Sider or Sader. Yeah, a new, a new entrant. Jared Sader of Toronto is uh, the winner of a pair of steelhead tickets. And uh, he'll go to see the Mississauga Steelheads in action against Owen Sound on Monday, Family Day at uh, 2 p.m. at the Paramount Fine Food Center. And, of course, you can always get your Mississauga Steelhead tickets at the Paramount Fine Food Center box office or by calling 905-502-7788. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody and uh, Jacob, and I'll be off this coming Monday for Family Day. Please enjoy a previously listened to Best Up show on Monday. I'll be back Tuesday to do it all over again. God willing, I'll speak with you live on Tuesday at 4 p.m. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Monday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM.